Now, our Bible reading this morning is taken from 2 Chronicles chapter 23. 2 Chronicles chapter 23. Let's hear the word of God, reading, of course, from the authorized version. And those online, the words will come up on the screen. Follow with us. Second Chronicles, chapter 23, we're going to read from verse 1. Let's hear the word of God. And in the seventh year, Jehoiada strengthened himself and took the captains of hundreds, Azariah, the son of Jerorham, and Ishmael, the son of Jehonanan, and Azariah, the son of Obed, and Masaiah, the son of Adiah, and Elishaphat, the son of Zikri, into covenant with him. And they went about in Judah and gathered the Levites out of all the cities of Judah and the chief of the fathers of Israel, and they came to Jerusalem. And all the congregation made a covenant with the king in the house of God. And he said unto them, Behold, the king's son shall reign, as the Lord hath said of the sons of David. This is the thing that ye shall do, a third part of you entering on the Sabbath, of the priests and of the Levites, shall be porters of the doors. And a third part shall be at the king's house. And a third part at the gate of the fountain. And all the people shall be in the courts of the house of the Lord. But let none come into the house of the Lord, save the priests, and they that minister of the Levites. They shall go in, for they are holy, but all the people shall keep the watch of the Lord. And the Levites shall compass the king round about, every man with his weapons in his hand, and whosoever elf cometh into the house, he shall be put to death. But be ye with the king when he cometh in, and when he goeth out. So the Levites and all Judah did according to all things that Jehoiada the priest had commanded, and took every man his men that were to come in on the Sabbath, with them that were to go out on the Sabbath. For Jehoiada the priest dismissed not the courses. Moreover, Jehoiada the priest delivered to the captains of hundreds spears and bucklers and shields that had been King David's, which were in the house of God. And he set all the people, every man having his weapon in his hand, from the right side of the temple to the left side of the temple, along by the altar and the temple by the king round about. Then they brought out the king's son and put upon him the crown and gave him the testimony and made him king. And Jehoiada and his sons anointed him and said, God save the king. Now when Athaliah heard the noise of the people running and praising the king, she came to the people into the house of the Lord. And she looked and behold, the king stood at his pillar at the entering in and the princess and the trumpets by the king. And all the people of the land rejoiced and sounded with trumpets, also the singers with instruments of music and such as taught 
to sing praise. Then Athaliah rent her clothes and said, Treason, treason. Then Jehoiada the priest brought out the captains of hundreds that were set over the host and said unto them, Have her forth of the ranges, and whoso followeth her, let him be slain with the sword. For the priest said, Slay her not in the house of the Lord. So they laid hands on her, and when she was come to the entering of the horse gate by the king's house, they slew her there. Now this morning, my text is taken from Second Chronicles and chapter 23 and the verse 11. It reads as follows, Then they brought out the king's son and put upon him the crown and gave him the testimony and made him king. And Jehoiada and his sons anointed him and said, God save the king. Now I've entitled this sermon, Spiritual Lessons from a Call to Save the King. Now this is the seventh reference in the Holy Scriptures to these words, God save the king. The first reference is found in 1 Samuel 10.24 in reference to Israel's first king, King Saul. The second reference is taken from 2 Samuel 16 and 16, where we record the words of Hushai shouting unto Absalom in a very sarcastic way, God save the king. God save the king. In fact, he shouted it out twice. The third reference is in 1 Kings 125, where it says, God save King Adonijah. And then in 1 Kings 1.34, at the coronation of King Solomon, there was a cry from the people, God save King Solomon. And this is repeated for us in the Bible, um, in the fifth reference, which is really 1 Kings 1.39, God save King Solomon. The, the sixth reference is 2 Kings 11 and 12 in regard to Joash. When he was crowned king, the, the people in the temple shouted, God save the king. And then the last reference, 2 Chronicles 23, 11, again, you've got the story of the coronation of Joash. It's interesting, it's recorded twice in the Bible, once in 2 Kings, once in the second book of Chronicles. And once more we read the words, for the seventh time, God saved the king. Now I emphasize that, seven times in total these words are found in the Bible, God saved the king. Some of the kings are named, others are not. Some preachers argue that there's only four references. Some squeeze out five. But there's actually seven now, seven, remember, is the number of perfection. Now, there's nothing in the Bible by accident. I believe everything is there by design and purpose. The Holy Ghost is superintending the giving and the writing of every word. Every word of God is pure. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And that has to include these verses. These seven references... To highlight this one phrase, God save the king. You see, these words stand out. I want to set before you in context the last reference. Historically, the land of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, had gone through a terrible period of moral and spiritual decline. Sadly, the wicked influence of Baal worship had filtered down from the northern kingdom into the southern kingdom. 
a man called King Ahaziah was on the throne in Judah. His mother was called Athaliah. She was the daughter of Ahab, granddaughter of Omri, and Jezebel. Remember, they're the ones who introduced Baal worship into the land of Israel. This led to sin, apostasy, falling away from God, and aroused the wrath of God, and God eventually sent them into captivity into the land of Assyria. Well, King Ahaziah was the youngest son of King Jehoram. He only reigned one year, 2 Kings 8, verse 26 and 27. He was put to death by a man called Jehu, whom the Lord raised up, as king of Israel to destroy the house of Ahab. That that death took place in Megiddo. And after fleeing from Jezreel, he was put to death in Megiddo. After his death, his mother seized the throne in Judah. She was called Athaliah. Now when she came to the throne, the first thing she did, she killed all the king's seed. All his children, the boys and the girls, her own grandchildren. She put them all to death and took the throne. She murdered them all except one. You see, there was a woman called Jehoshabeth. She was the daughter of King Jehoram. She was also the wife of Jehoiada the priest. And she was sister of Ahaziah. And she took one of the children out of the royal palace. She took his nurse. And her and her husband, Jehoiada the priest, hid him in the room in the house of God for six years. And that child's name was Joash. And when Joash was seven years old, the Bible says that Jehoiada the priest strengthened himself. Now that's interesting. He along with others, the Levites, the priests, certain chief of the people, placed the boy Joash on the throne of Judah in the temple and the people in the temple, whenever he was crowned, giving the book of the law, anointed with all, the people, the Levites, the priests, the porters, the people cried out together in unison, including Jehoiada and his wife, God save the king. And when wicked Athaliah came into the house of God, obviously she was absent from this ceremony, she shouted treason, treason. She was arrested. She was taken out to the horse gate and put to death. And the boy Joash had a very promising start. He had great spiritual privileges. And he served well. He had a good reign right up until the death of Jehoiada the priest. Now, my focus this morning is on this call from the people God save the king. Now, what spiritual lessons can we learn from this? There's three. First of all, learn that these words, actually in verse 11, are a prayer. So if you underline the words, God save the king, you can write in your Bible, this is a prayer. I want you to realize that. Last Lord's Day morning, we stood and we sang for the very first time, probably in the history of our church, uh, the national anthem. I wonder, did you realize when you were singing the words that you were actually singing was a prayer? 
It was a prayer for the new king. You see, in the past, it was sung as a prayer for the late queen, Queen Elizabeth II. And it was a prayer for the king to be saved. Underline the word, God save the king. That is, the people who are uttering this are interested in the spiritual well-being of the king. It's a prayer about the spiritual well-being of his majesty. It rises above politics. We were not doing politics last Sunday. It's not about politics. The chief concern was that our new king would come to know and love Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And the chief concern for us is, how does the new king relate to Christ? Does he know him as Lord and Redeemer? So it's really a prayer for the salvation of the monarch. And our chief concern should be that the new king is born again and washed in the blood. And he shares a testimony, he knows and loves Christ as a Lord and Savior. Let me tell you something that's probably not in this magazine, but could have easily have been if I had maybe sent the material to the Reverend Brown. The former queen, Queen Elizabeth II, has 1,200 staff. Did you know that? And one Christmas, she brought them all a gift. She buys them a gift every year. It's not that long ago, this is what the gift was. A signed copy of Pilgrim's Progress. Can you think of that? You see, that gives us an insight into the spiritual life of our late queen. And when the priests and the Levites and the people shouted, God save the king, they recognized that only God can save the king. God had created the king. God had raised up the king. God had sustained the king. God had enabled him to rule. But only God could save him. You see, you think of the context here. The soldiers are coming into the royal palace. They're coming into the place where the, 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 the king's seed is. And they're going to put them all to death on the orders of Athaliah. And one baby boy was taken from the royal nursery by uh, this woman, uh, Jehoshabeth. And her husband, no doubt, was involved, Jehoiada. And she saved him. And she hid the child in the house of God for six years. That was a, a providential miracle, you would say. And it is. But here's a greater miracle. Not only a life being saved and spared, but a soul being saved and spared. The greatest miracle of all is to know and experience and testify to God's great salvation. So here's the question. Are you a Christian? Are you saved? Do you know and love Christ? Remember the Bible says, this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus come into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. It's not only a prayer for the spiritual well-being of the king, but it's a prayer for the physical well-being of the king. In the margin, it says in our Bible, when we read the words, God save the king, it's let the king live. It's a prayer for the health of the new king. Let the king live many days. Grant them good health. Grant them a long life. It's a reminder that all life comes from God. The breath that we breathe, it's in his hand. It's a prayer that the king will be preserved from disease, uh, preserved from an untimely death, preserved from the hand of his enemies, preserved from being murdered in his own bed, preserved from being betrayed by a traitor, preserved from all that does him harm. Remember what the psalmist says in uh, Psalm uh, 121, which is the traveler's psalm, and we think of these words, he says in verse 7 and 8, 
if we think of the words, the Lord shall preserve thee from all evil, he shall preserve thy soul, the Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. But it's also a prayer for the mental well-being of the king. The Bible says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed in thee, because he trusteth in thee. And when they cried out, Let the king live, they were saying, Let the king live before your face. Let the king live before you. Let, 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 let king live with respect to you as the Lord God, the living and the true God. Let the king not forsake thee, not forget thee, not fail thee. Let, let him live in light of thee, with a regard to thee, so that he'll consider thee. He'd consider the truth that there's a God in heaven. Let him seek after thee, let him choose thee, let him recognize thee, let him fear thee, that there's a higher king and a higher kingdom. Let him be dependent on thee. Let him be live in light of being accountable to thee. Could I tell you something else? It's a prayer for the national well-being of the king. When they prayed, let the king live, or God save the king, they were saying, let him be a power for good in the land. Let him be a power for God in the land. Let him be a monarch who not only knows the Lord, but truly follows the Lord. Uh, the righteous mourn when the wicked rule, but, but, but the righteous rejoice when the righteous rule, and rule according to the laws set by God. So, these words, God save the king, when you sing them at the next time of the national anthem, wherever that is, you'll remember these words are a prayer. And it's a prayer for the spiritual, physical, mental, national well-being of the king as he rules under God. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. These words are a proclamation. You see, they're more than just a prayer. They're about proclaiming something. Let me just tell you what they were proclaiming. They were proclaiming the royalty of the true king. When they shouted, God save the king, they were proclaiming Joash as the rightful, legitimate king on the throne. The context is they were setting up the rightful king. And there's a recognition of the true king royalty here. They were dethroning a usurper. There's many involved in this. Jehoiada the priest had gathered many from different parts of Judah and brought them to Jerusalem. And there's a recognition among them all. This is the king's son. This is the rightful heir. I've told you Jehoiada and his wife hid the king's son six years. Now he's seven years old. Imagine if Athaliah had found out she was betrayed by her own sister. Would she not have been mad? Would she not have wanted Jehoiada and her sister put to death? She would have. But in God's providence, they were spared. And here the time has come to put the rightful king back in the throne. And others recognized this is the rightful king. This is the right thing to do. And you know, I was thinking because people have talked to me about the figures from the uh, Northern Ireland Consensus 2021. A lot of people are discouraged and disheartened. And I was thinking, well, we need revival. You'll agree with that. The prayer is, will thou not revive us again, that we thy people may rejoice in thee. But what is revival? 
Is it not a recognition of the true and rightful royal king of heaven? And having that righteous royal king of heaven ruling and reigning in our hearts. I was meditating this week in the words, my son, give me thine heart. You see, he wants our heart, not a part, but the whole. And Jehoiada, the priest, and his wife gather a host of other people. And they have a heart for God. They have given their heart to the Lord. And they want others to have a heart like him for the glory of God and for the good of his people. And they know that there's those who haven't bowed the knee to Baal in the land. And there's no that many still will look to and, and rejoice that a rightful king is on the throne. Could you sing this morning, King of my life, I crown thee now, thine shall the glory be. We say to the children, there's a flag flying high in the castle of my heart for the king is in residence there. But when you see the royal standard from any of the royal palaces, you'll know that his majesty is dwelling there. A recognition of the royalty of the true king, very quickly. A reinstatement of the authority of the true king. If you look at the text, verse 11, then they brought out the king's son, that's Joash, and put upon him, notice these three things, the crown, one, gave him the testimony, two, and made him king, and Jehoiada and his sons anointed him and said, God save the king. So there's three things. They put in him a crown, they gave him a testimony, and they anointed him with oil. You see, that's a reinstatement of the authority of the true king. They literally made him king, even though he was the rightful heir to the throne. The crown is a symbol of real royal authority. They were submitting to his rule when they put the crown on his head. They, not a usurper would they bow the knee to, but they would bow the knee and submit to a rightful heir. Not only did they submit to his rule by placing the crown on his head, but they submitted to his rule when they gave him the testimony. Do you know what the testimony is? They weren't testifying that they were saved and they were the Lord's people. The word testimony is another word for the law of God. It's called that in Psalm 119, uh, give ear to thy testimonies. So the testimony is a reference to the law of God. They put the law of God into his hands. You think of the coronation of past kings and queens in the whole of the United Kingdom. And one of the things that they did from 10, 9 something, can't just remember the exact date, 900 and something. King Egbert, they put the law of God into his hand. Do you get the picture? They're saying to the king, we want you to read this testimony. We want you to rule according to this testimony. We don't want you to make up your own rules. We don't want you to rule by greed. We don't want you to rule by the sword. We don't want you to rule by a desire for riches for yourself. We want you to rule according to the law of God. Isn't it wise that we have such a ruler who rules on the throne according to the law of God? Ancient Israel. They had a danger because they were absolute monarchs in their own right to rule their own way and do their own thing, not according to the law of God. But these Levites, this priest, and the others, they're saying, we want you to rule 
this way. Not do your own thing. Rule according to the law of God. This is the greatest thing that we can give you. This will guide you. This will guard you. Can you get the picture? If the king called Jesus Christ is on the throne of your heart and life, you'll, you'll submit to his rule. You'll accept that Christ's kingdom has a law. That law will be recognized. That law will be revered. That law will be observed. You'll, you'll strive to live by it because you'll be saying his law is supreme. Sadly, there's many in rebellion to the word of God. Many who refuse to submit or bow the knee to the king because they choose to ignore his law and they live a life of sin and wickedness. Something else here. They submit to his anointing. Notice the oil. They anointed him. That too is a symbol of his power and authority. That's a symbol of, of peace and fragrance. They're saying, here's your power to do the work and the will of God. Power to submit to the king. Power to love the king. Power to live under his rule. Power to live spiritualized. Power to say no to sin. Power to overcome the flesh. Where does it come from? It comes from the anointing of the spirit of God with which we're born again of the spirit. The Bible says be filled with the spirit. There's a reinstatement here of the authority of the king. Very quickly, there's a removal of the tyranny of the true king. If you look at chapter 23, verse 16, which we didn't read, and Jehoiada made a covenant between him and between all the people and between the king that they should be the Lord's people. Verse 17, then all the people went to the house of Baal and break it down and break his altars and his images in pieces and slew Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. You see, there's a removal of the tyranny of the true king. On this occasion, all that was as false was exposed. All that was false was removed. You see, Athaliah and all that stood with her for six years, they were exposed as a usurper, as illegitimate, and they were removed. They were not slain in the temple. They were slain nearby at the horse gate. You think of her coming into the house of God. She wasn't in the house of God. She was not involved. She was not invited. She came in because of the noise. And she cried, as the Bible tells us there in uh, the uh, scripture that we were uh, uh, reading uh, in verse 13. Then Athaliah rent their clothes and said, treason, treason. They arrested her, took her out, put her to death by the horse gate. You see, the false authority had to be removed. The true king has to reign supreme. The filthy idolatry had to be removed. All the idols. The house of Baal was destroyed. You can't have the house of Baal and the house for the Lord. Both houses can't remain. The house of Baal was destroyed and removed and taken away. Be ye separate. Come out from among them and touch not the unclean thing, says. And all the faithless ministers, the priests of Baal, Matan and all the rest, were put to death. Verse 17. You see, when you think again of true revival, when the true king is crowned king of our lives and he comes in to rule and reign by his word in our hearts and lives, then idolatry and sin and covetousness has to be not only exposed, but has to be put away. It has to be repented of. There, there's the soul's divorce from sin. It's not the history of revival. When the rightful king on the throne comes to the fore 
There's a change in the hearts and lives of the people. It's as if there's a clean-up job in the house of God and in the country. And I'll tell you one other thing. There was a rebuilding of the true king spiritually. See, it's interesting, Athaliah and all that stood with her. Originally, they had broken up the house of God and took the things that were in the house of God all the wealth out of it. And they put it into the house of Baal. So they were using the things of God to worship this idol called Baal. And isn't that the history of the church on the flip side? In days of apostasy, churches that have been great bastions for truth and righteousness, churches that have been around for a long time, tendency, the third and fourth generation, what happens? It goes into apostasy. And over time, some that saw the house of God built for the glory of God end up perverting the gospel of God and denying the very God that they profess to love and serve by their teaching and by their behavior. And they end up using it in an idolatrous way, as if it was for Baal. But then there comes a time when revival comes, when the godly and righteous step up to the plate. That time has come. Time has come for us to rebuild the house of God again and see to it that all that's wicked and evil is put away according to the scriptures. And this is all rooted and grounded on the blood atonement of Christ. There's a big stress here. I can't go into it this morning. I haven't time. On the blood atonement. And if a blood atonement is offered, then there's a need for cleansing. And when there's cleansing, then there's true worship. According to the word of God. Listen to verse 18. Also Jehoiada anointed the officers of the house of the Lord by the hand of the priests, the Levites, whom David had distributed in the house of the Lord to offer the burnt offerings of the Lord, as it is written in the law of Moses, with rejoicing and with singing, as it was ordained by David. The reference to burnt offering is a reference to the shedding of blood. Do you get the picture? Here's the presentation now. And the presentation is... We recognize the royalty of the true king. We reinstate the authority of the true king by these symbols, by this act. There has to be a rebuilding spiritually of the true king. There has to be a removal of the tyranny against the true king. Lastly, these words are not only a prayer and a proclamation. But these words are a presentation. Let me just explain in a few minutes. They present the gospel. It's the end of an evil reign that was established by death. The death of Athaliah brought the end to an evil reign. She murdered the royal seed. She had established her reign by death. She was a Baal worshipper. And many followed and joined her in that spiritual path. She was the granddaughter of Omri, the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. And they did wickedly. And her reign was a reign of death and terror. You think of the reign of death and terror and misery in the world because of sin. Because of the fall of sin in Adam and us in him, there's a campaign of death and misery and suffering in the world. It was also the end of an evil reign broken. By the rise and coming of the rightful king. The Bible tells us, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son into the world. 
and made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. You've got to think of the coming of Christ. You've got to think of the coming of this young boy, Joash, in seven years of his life. The captains, the Levites, the, the chief of the fathers, Jehoiada the priest, they were instrumental in seeing the rise and the coming of the rightful king. And in the fullness of time, God's word was fulfilled. You see, it's always in his time. God's time is best. God's time is right. The end of this evil reign centered around the priest, the altar, the blood sacrifice, the making of a covenant. Not all connected to the personal work of Christ. Christ in the cross. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. The end of this evil reign. The king is proclaimed. The king in waiting. He's presented to the people. They're putting the Lord in the central place. In the first place. In the right place. Did Jesus Christ not come to dethrone sin, death, the devil, hell? Did his death not deal a blow to Sin and wickedness and law-breaking. The evil reign came to an end and was replaced by a new king. A new reign of righteousness. And if we're the Lord's, we'll realize that there has to be an end of an evil reign that was established by death. And that end of that reign is broken only by the coming of heaven's king. And at the end of that reign... It's brought about because it centers on the blood sacrifice of Christ. And the end of that evil reign, Christ is proclaimed king. He's king of kings now. And we receive him as such into our hearts and into our lives. And that evil reign is replaced by a reign of righteousness. We live righteously before the Lord because the king is in our hearts and in our lives. And when we sing, when we say, God save the king, we're uttering a prayer before God. We're making this proclamation. And we're presenting this message. The king is in residence in my heart. Is that true of you this morning? Can you say amen to these things that we've talked about? I pray the Lord gives us help and understanding into these particular words that I have very quickly rushed over. Now, perhaps in the will of God next week, we're going to deal with this boy, Joash. And the title of the sermon will probably be, A Good Boy Who Went Bad. So, so think of that for next Lord's Day morning.